The Black Diamond Trophy will be staying in Morgantown, what that means, as well as West Virginia prepares to take the trip to Austin, Texas this week. Listen to it all on the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, back with you today with another episode of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. Today we are talking all things Mountaineer football. West Virginia coming off a big, big, big rivalry win on the road against Virginia Tech. I would argue biggest road win in Neil Brown's tenure. Kind of saved his butt a little bit too. Um, Won't really need to get into that much, but Mountaineers win 33 to 10. They break even on their schedule and now have won two in a row. Kind of discussing, is it a fluke or is this something to kind of try and think that they will be able to build upon? They head into Austin this week. Obviously, a tall task ahead of them facing the high-flying Longhorn offense. Uh, Aaron, just your general takeaways from Virginia Tech, the odds, things you liked, things you did, didn't like so much. Um, just start there. Um, yeah, it was a, a well-played game by the Mountaineers. Obviously, the first half didn't show much offensive firepower. It was a little boring at times, but um, they got their act together. The secondary kind of shaped up. They had some dumb penalties early, um, but they shaped up, and they um, I think they had a get-right game. Um, but I'm not sure how much of that is in part to, you know, them playing well or the bad play of Virginia Tech. I saw a Virginia Tech team that, that didn't impress me very much, 35 yards on the ground, so a lot of credit to the WVU defense, but also, um, you know, Grant Wells missed a lot of passes. Um, they just didn't show me a lot on offense. But, um, you know, the WVU defense did come out to play. And, um, you know, the thing I liked the most about the game was probably that um, it wasn't even a two-minute offense, the one-minute offense before halftime that um, JT Daniels led down the field for a, for a touchdown to Sam James over the middle. Um, I just I thought that really um, you know, sucked the life out of the crowd. And from that point on, the Hokies couldn't really recover. Yeah, let's just start here then with the offense since you mentioned it last. I'll, my honest opinion of Daniels' performance in the first half was that until that last drive where he found Sam James on the touchdown, he was not great. I think he was missing throws. I think even short and intermediate routes he was missing, deep balls he overthrew guys by a step. Like the, His throws weren't as crisp and on target, and obviously they're not going to be there every game, but I think you really saw it, and it was magnified in the first half. I think there were multiple times on a third down or on a big play that could have happened that, oh, you see the receiver has a step on the defender, or oh, the receiver beats the defender on the inside or the outside, and the throw just isn't quite there. And honestly, I was a little excited to see how he would react and how this team would react, and I feel like once they took that drive down the field to end the first half, he kind of got locked in and the rest of the offense got locked in with him. And I just think he has the kind of that capability and that leadership um, style to how he goes is how this offense goes. And so I wasn't surprised to see everything as a team also pick up in the second half once he kind of picked things up as well. Yeah, he, um, you know, he, he put his head down in the second half and really, you know, showed us who he really is. I think the first half was just, um, you know, I don't know, maybe a little sloppy on both sides, um, Virginia Tech and West Virginia. So I think JT's included on that. He didn't have his best half, but I don't think he's horrible. And then the second half, he just kind of got right. But um, I don't think he needed to do – he needed, he didn't need to have the best game of his life, to say the least, with the running of C.J. Donaldson and, 
and uh, Justin Johnson. So um, I think the Mountaineer run game really kind of opened it up for, you know, um, you know, guys like Kane Prather to be open for JT Daniels, get 15 yards, 20 yards here and there. Yeah, talking about the running back room, I think, man, Justin Johnson kind of had his coming out party on Thursday night. You saw the Tony Mathis fumble kind of, kind of take him out, I think. He didn't really play much else in the first half after that fumble. And then in the second half, he didn't play until I think it was that fourth down and six play is when his next snap was. I could be wrong, but I think that's when I the next time I saw him on the field was that fourth and six where they got moved back from fourth and one on the fall start and then mm-hmm. ended up getting the first down on the – I think it was the late hit on JT. On it was. So – he kind of was in the doghouse a little bit. Um, just reading numbers here. Tony Mathis, nine rushes, 38 yards. C.J. Donaldson, again, having another day, 23 for 106. Then Justin Johnson, a very pleasant surprise, 11 for 83 in his first collegiate touchdown. So good for him. And I think it just adds another layer to this room. And I think it kind of just – the depth of this running back room – I don't know. Like I'm trying to just say in this to say this, but it might be one of the top 10 running back rooms in the country. I'm pretty confident in saying that just because they have three guys who they can give the ball to. And I'm confident that they can all fulfill the duty properly. I think all of them have some serious speed, but I, the thing I was impressed with Justin Johnson was his burst. And I felt like he was really quick uh, bouncing off tackles, kind of just, as soon as he got the ball, he was quick up the field. He wasn't really moving as much east to west as he was north to south. And you want to see those north to south runners just kind of get going. And against the Virginia Tech defense, too, that was really, really good stopping the run coming into this game. And you ran the ball down their throat. And they knew it was coming, and you still did it. So Graham Harrell talked today how he was on the uh, he was on the headset with JT during the game. And Jay, he asked JT, hey, you want to pass the ball? He's like, no, we're running the ball pretty well. Let's keep doing it. So that that's good to hear. And they're going to have to run the ball this Saturday. Neil Brown said they're going to have to be able to run the ball and stop the run if they want to win this week. And it kind of that's the recipe for success, just not even for West Virginia this year, but for West Virginia in general under Neil Brown. When they've ran the ball well and when they've stopped the run and they've made teams kind of one-dimensional, they've played well. And you saw that this past Thursday. And if you're West Virginia, you're, you're hoping they carry that over uh, into this upcoming Saturday against the Longhorns. Yeah, and I like what you said about um... – about Justin Johnson, about how he kind of was running north to south. I think he is a north to south runner, and I think that Virginia Tech game really showed me that. Um, we just seen little, we just seen little uh, bits and pieces of what he can do, and um, I like what I what I saw with him one on one. He can really um, cut it up field real quick. Um, he's got um, he's got some shifty some shifty feet to him, and he does run north to south. I think um, not maybe not a problem with Tony Mathis, but I've seen Tony Mathis go side to side a good bit. Um, not that he's a bad running back. I mean, he's a good running back. But, you know, uh, when you're putting the ball on the ground and you got C.J. Donaldson and Justin Johnson in the room, um, I think if you're Neil Brown, you do want to sit him down for a little bit and, and give somebody else a chance because Justin Johnson is young, but he's also been here and played for a year. Um, and he, he's got speed. And then C.J. Donaldson, man, I've never seen such a, a north-to-south runner here at WVU since, like, um, I, I don't know, Noah Devine or something like that. He just gets down downfield. Uh, he's fast, he's big, um, and he doesn't really mess around with the the east to west type stuff. So, um, you know, I do – I like what you said, you know, maybe a top ten running back group we got here. Um, and we haven't even seen what Jalen Anderson has. But, you know, with him only being part of the lifting group last year, and this is really his first year, we probably won't see him. But 
Um, it's a deep running back room. And yeah, I think that takes the load off a guy like JT Daniels and Bryce Ford Wheaton when um, maybe against Pitt, they were kind of kind of carrying the offense. Um, I think if you can get that running back room to go two, three deep and be consistent, it takes a lot of pressure off the offensive, uh, like the, the wideouts, their pressure takes it off their shoulders. Yeah, one thing for me on Bryce Ford while, while we brought his name up, he just didn't have his best day. Um, I I think it was more by design of Virginia Tech than anything else. But um, you saw Caden Prather have a really good day, six receptions, 69 yards. Um, you also saw a guy like Mike O. He, I mean, I, I can't say he had a good day because he dropped the wide-open touchdown pass, which you, you can't do that. Like, that was a really good play design. And – JT put the throw on the money and Michael just couldn't come down with it. But you had eight different receivers um, catch a pass for West Virginia. And that's pretty good, uh, especially for a team that's been pretty reliant on Bryce Ford uh, so far this season. If you can kind of spread that wealth around, it's only good things going forward. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball for me, though, I was impressed with how this kind of this front group played. I think in the first three games, we've seen not a lack of pressure, but a lack of intensity at times. And I think the whole night against Virginia Tech, they were, if they weren't rushing the passer, they were getting their hands up in passing lanes. They were causing problems in different ways other than getting a sack. They only had one sack on the night, but what they did, the little things, the tip balls, the deflections, the, like all of that, all of the moving the quarterback out the pocket, the stopping the runs, the coming after the quarterback runs, the reading the motions, like that fourth down and one stop where they read the motion from bottom to top and then stuffed that run on Grant Wells. That was a game-changing play. That's a momentum switch. That's like, that's a game-changing play. And so they kind of made the play whenever they needed to play to make the play. And then obviously the defense just gets it capped off. First interception of the year. Couldn't have come at a better time in the fourth quarter there. Jacoby Spells houses one. So, just kind of your overall thoughts on the defense, defensive line, uh, wherever you want to go with that, Eric. Yeah, I mean, you know, when talking about the defense, I've kind of said uh, a couple of different times that it kind of starts up front. You got um, you got the the leadership with Dante Stills, but now, you know, as I watch this team a little bit more, it's when I say, you know, it starts up front, I need to talk more about the other guys and especially Jordan Jefferson. I mean, it's not just Dante Stills that's a leader up there. Ooh, Jordan, Jordan Jefferson, Jefferson, man, he had himself a day. He had himself a day, and he gets he gets the work done in the trenches. I mean, when you think of a nose guard, you think of a guy that can hold down the fort, but maybe, you know, isn't really lighting up the stat sheet, you know, because he's got – usually getting double teamed by big offensive linemen. But, um, you know, that guy can get after the quarterback. He can, you know, really, uh, you know, plug the gaps and, and really stop the run. I think he did that against Virginia Tech. Um, liking what I'm seeing from Sean Martin, the Bluefield native. He looks good. Taj Austin, I know he had that bad penalty against Kansas, but he looked pretty good the other night too. It just really starts up front. But, um, you know, as you move back, I, I really like the play of Lee Koba. Um, I think we talked a lot about him in the preseason. He just gets after the ball. Um, you know, he's got a long way to go, but he reminds me a little bit of David Long, just in the fact that he's kind of a ball hawk. Uh, wherever the ball is, Lee Koba seems to be right there. Um, he's usually not missing out on an assignment. That's I think a hard hitter too. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Hard. He's got a little bit of Kaiser White in him. Um, so maybe not the, probably not as good on the pass coverage, but uh, doesn't seem like Lee Koba misses an assignment too often. But um, obviously the secondary has a long way to go. But they came out and they played a pretty good game. Definitely a good second half. Uh, big pick six against um, Grant Wells there with Jacoby Spells, and I, I like that. It's a freshman. Um, you know, you got Charles Woods down. 
got some guys not playing very well. So, you know, keep giving Jacoby Spells and Wilson Lamp and Mumu Ben will have reps and, you know, maybe good things will happen. For me, a name that kind of went unnoticed in the whole grand scheme of things this past Thursday night was Mike Lockhart. Um, he's not a starter, doesn't get a ton of snaps, but he had a huge pass deflection uh, this past Thursday. I think it was either on a third or fourth down. I think it was a third down. Um, like plays like that from guys who aren't in the aren't taking a ton of snaps, but when they're in the game, like that that was the only play that showed up on the stat sheet for him. And so good for him, kind of getting his hands on things. Um, he got in the game against Towson a bunch, played a bunch in the second half, and it was good to kind of see him move on. As far as the secondary, though, in the first half, it was poor secondary play. Um, on the Virginia Tech touchdown, I think it was McCormick. He looked lost. There were a couple times Ajayi and McCormick both just didn't account for receivers. Um, Aubrey Burks, it was a welcome sight to see him back in action because um, they need all the help they can get. I think Spells is going to continue to play more. Wilson Lamb's probably going to continue to play more. Um, just like – there's only so much you can do. Like if if you let's look at the starters for the secondary, it was McCormick and Marcus Floyd, as well as Ajayi and Arby Burke. So Arby Burke's got the start in his first game back. Um, Ajayi's got to play better. I think he's kind of struggled. Like there are two pass interference penalties that you just did not need to touch. It. Like you did not need to touch your man. And good teams take advantage of those penalties. And if you're playing Texas, you can't let that happen this week. So. A lot, a lot to get better at. I do think, though, that I am pleased with this performance. I'm not happy with it, but I'm pleased with it just because they did do their job and they did finally come away with a turnover back there. So hopefully they can build upon it and hopefully hopefully this week doesn't go as bad as it could because it could get bad with depending on what Texas does. Yeah, I mean, you can't be um, you can't be too upset when Virginia Tech only scored 10 points. But, you know, um, I think that the level of offense between Virginia Tech to compared to Texas and Oklahoma State and Baylor, I think it's very different. I think we're going to see that. Um, so I don't think that secondary is out of the mud. And like you said, I mean, some dumb penalties. I remember one um, first or second quarter, man, third and 13. Um, they're kind of in no man's land. You got to force them to make a play. And somebody, I don't know if it's, I, don't, I think it was a Jai maybe, 15-yard pass interference penalty, and the ball's not even coming to his hands. So it's like you're giving them a free 15 yards. You got to make them earn it. Um, I didn't like that penalty. It showed uh, not much discipline. But, you know, again, 10 points. You can't be too upset with them. Um, you know, but I think they still got some work to do. And, you know, hopefully they realize that Texas um, can really move the ball downfield. And um, they got a, they got a good running back course. So, you know, once they get the running game going, um, that's going to, you know, open up shots in the pass game, uh, especially the deep pass um, game for Texas. And they got to be ready for it. Yeah, Mallinger got burned for a penalty early. I know, early, I know. Um, McCormick got burned early. Um, you just got to play better as a unit, and they did in the second half. I was impressed. They they didn't really hurt themselves at all in the second half. Um, and it's it's something that you just got to build on it slowly but surely. Moving on though, the Texas Longhorns, the two and two. Oh, sorry. Before we get there, one more thing. Reese Smith, right? Um, <laughs> there is no reason Reese Smith should be catching punts for this team anymore. Um, that's two muffs in three games, and that's bad. Like, 
Neil Brown defended his guy like he has to. He said the wind was howling. Wind was kind of weird, how it kind of knocked balls down. You, you were there. I wasn't on air, and you probably have a better sense of that than me. Mm-hmm. But you've got – you can't – like, if, if Virginia Tech recovers that ball, this game might be a different story. So, luckily for West Virginia, it went out of bounds. But I don't think Reese Smith should be returning punts for this team anymore. I just think that yeah. he's lost his opportunity to continue being the guy to go out there because sooner or later – they're going to do that, and it's going to cost you more than – it's going to cost you like it did Kansas. Like, it's going to cost you touchdowns, which could cost you the game. Yeah, you know, being in Blacksburg, it was windy that day, um, and it was rainy uh, when he when he muffed that punt against Kansas. But, like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're out there. You're supposed to be the guy catching punts, and, you know, how many more excuses are there going to be? I mean, um, you know, he, he's muffed, what, three out of the, two out of the last three you said? Uh, that's just not good enough. Muffed one against Kansas, muffed one against Virginia huh. Tech. He didn't get that really many opportunities yeah. against um, Towson just because there was so much up and down. And I think when Towson punted, that like started to punt a ton, like he fair caught a couple, and then they put Preston Fox in in the second half. And then Preston Fox showed me something something pretty good on his yeah, part. Like, I know it's a thousand. Thousand return or something like that. Yeah, I know it's a thousand, but you know, I know, um, you know, give him a rep, give Sam James some reps. I don't know, Reese Smith. I don't have a problem with him. I'm not saying he's a bad football player. Like he, he can go out there and be part of the receiving core. I think he's a decent, a decent slot receiver. Uh, but catching punts, no. Uh, you got to stop making excuses. And you know something that kind of struck me was, you know, he he muffed that punt, and it turned out to be you know a lucky bounce for WVU. They got it back. But you know after that and after how he muffed the punt against Kansas, man, you take him out there, right? No, the next punt it didn't matter because it was a bad punt by Virginia Tech and it was just down. Nobody touched it. But who was out there? Reese Smith. I was just like, he just muffed that one. Um, you just kind of barely got out of a bad situation there. At what point does it stop? And you say, hey, we got two, three, maybe four guys that can catch punts on this team better than Reese Smith. So, and I definitely think there are. And it, let's be honest here. Reese Smith isn't Deshaun Jackson. He's not going to take the top off a special teams unit, and he's not going to drastically change the game more than likely. So No, no, he's not. We haven't really – seeing him um you know turn on the jets or have breakaway speed and that's maybe that's not his fault as far as running routes because some of the routes where he gets the ball are kind of um you know little little sideline plays on like third and five to get six right. yards um, so i'm not blaming him for that but you know that, the, that's my point though like if he's, he's not a guy that can change a game on these punt returns no. either have him fair catch everything or put someone back there that can change the game or put someone back there that will catch it. Because if you're not going to have a guy that's going to change the game or flip the field on punt returns, then you might as well just have a guy that can fair catch the ball every time, know to stand at the 10, heels at the 10, don't go backwards. And that's that. If you're not going to have a game changer, play it safe and get the ball back and give it to your offense, which is a pretty dang good offense thus far this year. Yeah, you couldn't have said it really any better. I think you wrapped it up pretty good, but um, you know, you can fair catch every time all you want, but he, you know, he's still got to catch the ball. I'm pretty sure he signaled fair catch against Kansas and just dropped the ball. So, um, you know, he can't even he, he can't do that right now. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure he could do it in practice, but practice isn't the game, and he's shown that. Um, maybe maybe it's just somebody else's turn. Now, I'm not trying to hate on him, but you know. Uh, Preston Fox showed us a little something on his punt return against Townsend, so so give him a chance, you know. Yeah, I'm not hating. Put him on, on scholarship for a reason. I'm not hating on Reese Smith. I'm just saying that, like, yeah, there's got to be a better answer, or there's got to be a 
better game plan because to think that Reese Smith is going to house one, I bet he doesn't have a return more than 35 yards on a punt return this year. So, and I bet, not, not, I know he has not had one. I, I'm saying I bet he does not get a punt return greater than 35 yards if he stays the punt returner for the rest of the year. So if you don't have someone that's going to completely change the game, why put a liability back there or why have – the game plan B for him to possibly return one, just take the fair catch, put your offense on the field. If you can return one for 10, 15 yards, great, do it. But if not, don't take the chance, just get the ball back. Because there's too many times we've seen with this team, whether it be under Neil Brown or even under Dana, where there's been too many question marks on your punt return. And it's cost you possessions, and possessions can cost you games, just like we saw against Kansas. And when you start playing good teams, really good teams in this conference, like uh, Texas, who lost to one by lost by one to Alabama, like a Baylor, like Oklahoma State. You've got to be sound in all of those facets of the game if you even want to have a chance to win. So, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, but it's not having Reese Smith return everything. It's either having him fair catch everything or get someone else back there that can do the job at a higher level. Yeah, he's definitely not the answer at this point. I mean, you put Preston Fox on scholarship for a reason, so give him a chance, Um, you know. I don't know how bad Sam James could have been in the in fall camp, um, but maybe he should get a couple reps. And I don't know, maybe try a younger guy out. Uh, I know he hasn't got a ton of touches. Maybe this is not a great idea, but like Jarrell Williams, he had he had I think double digit touchdowns when you combine his um uh, uh kick return and punt return in high school. I mean he showed a lot of flash in high school, and that's that's why he went and got him. So um, somebody just needs a chance. Uh, I'm not sure who that is, but you know it's time to move on. Yeah, Neil Brown defended him today. Um, I mean, he's kind of got to, but he did say they need to get better. So maybe that's saying throwing smoke and there will be a new guy out there Saturday. Do I think so, though? No, but we will talk about that when it gets there. Speaking of Saturday, though, the Texas Longhorns are just in as desperate in, of need as of a win. I said that so wrong. Just as desperate uh, – are just in – are just as desperate as West Virginia. There we go. There's the English that I am paying thousands of dollars to learn. Um, Texas 2-2 two and two on the year, own winning conference, 37-34 loss in overtime this past week at Texas Tech. Bijan Robinson fumble uh, kind of put the seal on that game, but Texas had other opportunities to win. A couple big notes that stood out to me in that game. Texas Tech ran 100 plays in that game. Uh, Neil Brown kind of talked about today how Obviously, the more plays, the better, because it keeps the Texas offense off the field. But expect West Virginia to run at least around 75, 80 plays this week if they want to have a chance to win. Texas Tech converted on 7 of 20 of the third downs and converted 6 of 8 on fourth down. Um, Mountaineers 3-2 and two in Austin, all time since joining the Big 12. 5-5 five and five versus Texas since joining the Big 12. So should be a close one, should be a fun one. Uh, my general thoughts on Texas are this. They have a really good offense and a suspect defense. If they play like they played against Alabama, they can beat anyone in the conference. If they play like they played last week, they're susceptible to losing to anybody. You just don't know what you're going to get. I think they have a really talented team. It's just a matter of if that talent wants to show up that day because they have to play inspired to win. Do I think they'll play inspired this week? Yes, because they need a win. They're playing at home and they're playing at night. So with all that being said, Aaron, your thoughts on Texas before we kind of get into specifics. They do have a good offense, um, you know, high power offense with with two good running backs. I know everybody knows about uh, Bijan Robinson, but but Roshan Johnson is a good second back. Um, you know, he's he's had over 100 yards so far with a touchdown. He's shown that he can block. 
And B. John Robinson is one of the most talented backs in the nation. I know he fumbled to start uh, overtime against Texas Tech, and that might have been one of the reasons they lost. But um, I've heard he's a uh, he's carrying a uh, carrying a football with him to all of his classes this week. So I don't I don't think he's coughing the ball up this week. Uh, he's very talented. I, don't, I he doesn't want that to happen again. I don't think the the WVU defense is going to make him cough it up. Um, you know they can they can throw the ball. What I saw, I didn't watch a ton of that Texas Texas Tech game, but I watched enough at the end to see. Um, you know, Texas Tech kicked a field goal late. It's like, okay, Texas Tech is going to win here. It's like under a minute. And, man, Texas came out and first down, first down, first down on the sidelines, executed everything perfectly to, to where they could get, you know, like a 40-some-yard field goal, and they drained it. Um, you know, so so when they need to, they can score. Um, you know, if they got a condensed amount of time, you know, they can go out there and score in that time. Um, I don't know much about their defense, but I know it's probably not one of the best in the conference. Um, you know, so WV is going to have to keep up with them. I don't, I don't expect it to be a 17-14 type of game. Here, I'll give you a couple stats I have on the Texas defense before we get into their offense. Seventh-ranked pass defense in the Big 12, also seventh-ranked rush defense in the Big 12. So if you're West Virginia, you're eyeing this thing as it's going to be a shootout. Uh, you have the offense to do it, and your defense is also suspect. Texas has the offense to do it. Their defense is also suspect. So Hopefully, if you're West Virginia, I think the goal is to stop the run, kind of make them one-dimensional. But then it kind of depends what quarterback you got. You got a kind of not a controversy because it's an injury, uh, but Quinn Ewers got hurt in the first half of the Texas-Alabama game. He has not appeared in a game since. However, he did dress this past Saturday, but he did not play for Texas. Head coach Steve Sarkeesian of the Longhorns said it is still up in the air as of Monday, and that they are both practicing this week. Uh, give you a couple numbers. Yours in his two games, 25 for 36, 359 yards, two tutties, and an interception. Hudson Card, four games, 53 of 80 passing, 620 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. So they've found guys, five Texas receivers have scored a touchdown this year. Um, Xavier Worthy, a Texas receiver, he was a little banged up. Sark said he should be back this week and should be ready to go. He is day-to-day right now, though. So just my overall thoughts on this offense are you have a really, really talented running back, and you have two quarterbacks that, by all accounts, according to Neil Brown, according to what I've seen, I I mean, I've watched that whole Alabama-Texas game start to finish every play of it, and both quarterbacks played well. Both quarterbacks kind of ran the offense well. There wasn't really a major difference in the quarterbacks besides that Ubers was just a little more accurate and more consistent than Hudson Card. But obviously, I think for any backup quarterback getting thrown into the number one team, and like getting thrown into that environment is crazy. And so it's hard to judge off that one game. But Hudson Card has scored points. Um, obviously, Texas scored 41 against UTSA and then 34 last week. So they're capable of scoring points with him. It's just a matter of will they be able to continue to do it? And is there if, – if Hudson Card does play, is there a area he struggles? Is there a, finally a time where he kind of falters? Um, I really, in my honest opinion, I think if viewers is – remotely close to getting to being ready to go he's going to go um because just because you can't afford to start 0-2 in conference play for texas and so they're going to do everything to get qb1 out there and that is yours so that's my kind of take on this quarterback situation in texas just if you want to give your thoughts on it um yeah go ahead yeah i mean you'd think if, if he's ready to, you know close to ready to go you would want to you know you would want to send viewers out there 
Um, you don't want to risk more injury, but if he's ready, you want to throw him out there. It's, it's a big game for them. Like you said, you don't want to dip into 0-2 in conference play this early. Um, you know, Hudson Card's talented. I mean, you don't you don't come and start for Texas at quarterback without being a, a four or five star. And uh, Hudson Card is talented. Um, you know, I don't think he didn't have a very good game in Morgantown last year, but that was a kind of odd game for Texas quarterbacks. They couldn't – Sarkeesian couldn't really decide who he wanted out there, Card and Casey Thompson. And also, I think Card was banged up. November, a lot of injuries. Yeah. Four and six, of, yeah. So many variables. They knew they weren't going to make a bowl game. No, West Virginia made them not bowl eligible, I think, officially. Right. So, right. A lot of a lot of variables into that game, and it, it's just a mess. So I don't really want to judge that. I'd rather judge him off of this year just because, one, it's this year's team, and, two, it's – 12 10 months later. So go ahead, keep going. Agreed. Yeah, I was just throwing that out there because that's the one time he's played the Mountaineers. But yeah, it is a different team. Um, I think he's got more, you know, he, he's got more more comfortable with the offense. I think last year he got a limited role. Um, they couldn't really decide who their quarterback really was. Um, but now with you know, with it was going down, he was their he was their next guy. And I think he played well against Bama, got banged up in that game, um, but you know, kinda kinda stayed in there, took his shots. Um, and, and yeah, so I, he's a tough guy. Um, and I think, uh, I think he can make the throws against, against a West Virginia secondary. I think, um, if you can get worthy back, I know I've seen him, he can, you know, he can really turn on the jets and be a burner. Um, I think it's going to be pretty, maybe not easy, but you know, he'll be able to get downfield on, on the WV corners. And, um, you know, if you, if you can lock him up, you know, they got other guys, you said there, there's five receivers that have caught touchdowns this year and, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a challenging offense to stop. Yeah, let's be honest here. I mean, both quarterbacks are talented. Ewers was a five-star recruit out of high school, left high school early to go to Ohio State, then transferred from Ohio State to Texas. Card was a four-star recruit. So both dudes got skill, got talent, and it's it's kind of like when you have such a smart offensive mind like you do in Sark, he can he can make things work. He's made things work at other places. He, he can make things work. That's what he's good at. That's why he gets paid the big bucks to do what he does is because he's such a great offensive mind. And that's why he's at Texas because they need to score to win games. And you need to score not only in the Big 12, but now in this kind of era of college football where teams are scoring 40, 50 points. Ever since that, I would say that kind of that Joe Burrow year even is kind of when the transition across the sport as a whole has turned from offense and defense to offense, 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 plus some defense. So, there's a lot to like for both those guys. I do think Ewers plays, though. If I had to bet money on it, I would bet on Ewers. But kind of let's go back a little bit to rewind. Bijan Robinson, um, 67 rushes on the year, 414 yards, seven touchdowns. Like, that's a big number. That's a lot of production. He was a Heisman candidate last year, and everyone thought he would kind of carry this Texas team this year. He hasn't necessarily done that yet. Um, four games in, hard to do that. But this this Texas team starts on the interior. They have a physical O-line, which if you go back and watch the Alabama game, I would say they hung like blow for blow with Alabama. Um, and if you look at defense too, Texas' defensive line gets after it. I will have to say though, West Virginia's D offensive line has played phenomenal so far, knock on wood, obviously. But they've been there's been a little transition there. Uh, Jaquay Hubbard got the start at right tackle this week. Uh, Doug Nestor, right guard, same from center over to the left. Um, Jordan White should be getting close to go, getting ready to go. Neil Brown said today, 
um, adds another layer of depth there. But they're going to continue to rotate on the right side. That left side's been pretty good. You got Zach Frazier at center. I think it's – and then it goes Gemitter and Milam from left guard to left tackle. So that offensive line's played really well. Um, I think the interior of it has played really well, and they're going to have to continue playing well, not only in the run game because West Virginia is running the ball at a really good clip right now, but also in the pass protection game because JT is not the most mobile quarterback. He's not Lamar Jackson, obviously. He's not even um, a Skylar Howard type guy who can pull it and run and get out that way. So he's going to, he's a pocket passer. He's a more traditional pro style quarterback and he's got to make the throws and you've got to give him the time to make the throws because we've seen he can make all the throws on the field. Yeah, and, you know, with Texas's offense, especially at home, night game in Austin, you know, you're going to need to, you're going to need to, um, you know, hang with them on the offensive end because I think, I think you can, you can, you know, you can bet that, that Texas is going to take their shots and they're going to, they're going to run the ball and they're going to do that pretty efficiently against the Mountaineers. Uh, you know, not to say that, that the defense is bad, but, you know, I think there's going to be some shot plays if you put Ewers in, there's going to be more shot plays, so. Um, it's going to be a lot, a lot's going to be on the offense. You know, you got to block, uh, for JT because he's going to be taking shots. Um, you know, the, the pass game, uh, is going to get established early, but, you know, I, I think a, a big thing is getting the run, the run game going, um, because everybody's going to be, you know, kind of locked down on Sam James and, and Bryce Ford Wheaton. Um, they're going to be rushing JT Daniels. So I think if you can, if you can get some production from CJ Donaldson and Justin Johnson early, I'm not saying you're going to be able to run all over them like you did Virginia Tech, but, um, you know, to establish a run game, that's how you stay in a game, um, in, in a conference game on the road in a tough environment. If you're not running the ball at all, it's going to be hard to hard to keep up. I know you can take your shots and maybe you you can win those one-on-one, you know, matchups. Maybe Caden Prather will get a couple of big catches, Bryce Ford Wheaton, um, but you can't rely on that for the entire game. So um, establishing the run game is early is going to be important for WVU. Um but I do think it's going to be pretty tough. On that note, though, Texas Tech ran the ball 44 times and finished with 148 yards rushing, which, like, just thinking about running the ball 44 times and you're an opposing defense is, ah, like, that freaks you out. Um, especially when they're running 100 plays and almost half of them are runs. Like, oh, like, that's just that's just pounding and pounding and pounding. And I think that's then where you have, as you talked about, Justin Johnson, Tony Mathis, C.J. Donaldson, where – then if one's if one's taking a beating, all right, let's slide the next one in. If he's yeah. taking all right, like this rotation of these three backs is so intriguing and it's gonna be I think the biggest storyline to watch as the season goes on is kind of how they affect ball games because obviously it's gonna be hot in Austin, even though it is a night game, it's gonna be hot, a lot hotter than here. It is here in Morgantown with 50 degree weather this week. Fall is coming, get ready. Uh so yeah, so there's a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different ways this thing can work for West Virginia when you're trying to run the ball. And this, what was a two-headed monster, I'd say, after uh, Towson is now a three-headed monster after Virginia Tech. So it's good to see. And I think that does play an advantage where if you get, say, each guy 15 carries, like not, that's obviously like if you're, uh, if you're running a hundred plays like Texas Tech did. If you're getting every guy 10 carries, even that's 30 carries between three guys. That's pretty good. And one's bound to probably break one. If you're running the ball 30 times with three talented guys, with three guys who are all going to be fresh. And then you put in two backs in the game at the same time, like RBOs can then go kind of crazy and a lot of different schematic things change from there. So 
That's just my thoughts is that if you want to run the ball, you have the advantage to do that because you have three guys who can do that and who can do that at a high level. So hopefully they make use of that. Neil Brown said they would. They're going to continue to rotate those guys. He said that today, and they're going to ride the hot hand. So I think for Tony Mathis' sake, I hope he's out of the doghouse because they need him, and I think he will be out of the doghouse. I just think that they didn't want to put him back in there on Thursday. So that is my thoughts on the running back room. As far as the offense as a whole goes, you've got to use your tight ends in this game. I think that a part of being physical and pay, playing a physical defensive line is getting your tight ends, blocking, chipping, and also getting them out in space and getting them moving so you can kind of spread out a defense. So look for my go, especially early. Establish that early. Establish that early. Make Texas think about it. That's where I think a difference can be had is using your tight ends on five yard outs, five yards in, kind of also in the running game, having two tight end sets with a running back or two. So that's that's my thought. Yeah, you got a talented offense there. You got you got two um experienced big tight ends. You got like like you said, you got a three headed monster at running back now. But I, I think one thing you can pull from the Virginia Tech game that maybe, you know, maybe to work on, especially against Texas and Texas Tech Baylor. Um, and on down the line in the Big 12 is you want to punch the ball in a little bit more than what I saw in Blacksburg. Um, you know, what did we say? I think um, there's an alternate score where Casey Legg scored 16 points in Virginia Tech scored 10. 12-10. Oh, 12-10, yeah. I mean, that, that's four field goals for Casey Legg, and, you know, he's a reliable kicker, and that's great and all, but um, I think there, there are plenty of opportunities that the Mountaineers had. Well, where let's think, right? First time they got inside the 10, I noted that C.J. Donaldson did not appear in the game on the drive inside the 10. Next time, one of the times, um, Mike O, wide open touchdown, drop. So you just can't have that, especially when you're going to possibly have to go and make a shootout because seven compared to three is a big difference. And if you're thinking about it, that is an eight-point swing uh, between two field goals and two touchdowns. So things like that, you just can't settle inside – the 10 and then have cheap shot, cheap, cheap, chip shots, cheap, chip shots, man, that's a tongue twister, cheap, chip shots for Casey Legg. Like, yes, he's reliable, but you need to punch the ball in for seven. I'd rather, I'd rather Casey Legg hit extra points than field goals all day long. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, uh, you know, they had plenty of chances to, to score six and you know, ended up in a, a Casey Legg field goal. Like you mentioned, it might go off and drop a touchdown and, you know, no looks for CJ inside the 10. Like what's, what's that really about? I mean, he's a North South runner and he, he's got physicality and he's a big guy that can get downhill. You know, you got first and goal from the 10 man, give him the rock. Um, you know, and so in, in a game where you got to, you know, kind of play the shootout more than likely, I guess we, we can't really predict the game, but in, in a game that's more likely going to be a shootout where you're not going to get calls where it's a hostile environment in Austin, you're going to need to score those, you know, and, and not settle for three. I mean, what what we say three or four times they settled for three when they when they shouldn't have. Um, obviously, you can't make mistakes and put the ball on the ground. Um, you know, so you know, ride the hot hand and um, you know, hopefully nobody's making you know uncharacteristic mistakes. But um, I think another thing to mention is you know undisciplined penalties. I know we've talked about it a couple of times, but I think part of settling for three sometimes in in the past, maybe not Virginia Tech, but in the past for WV's offense is a procedure penalty. Or something like that. Uh, I think we saw it once against Virginia Tech, where it was like fourth and one, and there was a procedure penalty, and they backed it up as fourth and six. And I thought at that point, Neil would would kick it or whatever, and he didn't. He ended up going for it, and they got bailed out by a rough in the passer. 
but in other game scenarios, if it's fourth and one and you're getting a procedure penalty, you're probably not going to go for it on fourth and six every time. So a uh, little stuff like that, not shooting yourself in the foot and, and getting good plays drawn up, you know, you need to get six instead of three. Yeah, and I just – I'm not sure – I'm not sure. Like, they were so good in the red zone to start the year, and they've just got to continue and find that and be better. And I just don't – I don't think it's that hard of a thing to fix. I think it's kind of little things here and there, and that makes the difference. Uh, you want to get to predictions, or do you have anything else on Texas? No, I'm good. Let's get on to predictions. All right, let's start with uh, – we'll go West Virginia's game last with the score there. Kentucky Ole Miss in – Oxford, Ole Miss is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to take Kentucky. I think Kentucky's a really, really good team. Um, they got to go get this point, and I think they get it. Uh, I'm going to go Ole Miss. Um, I like Kentucky. I like their win against Florida, but I'm not completely sold, and um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go Ole Miss because it's not Oxford. Oh, well, let's also tell the people that we are both now 11-5. and five. I did tie it up after going undefeated last week, so – Woohoo! Uh, Big 12 action, Oklahoma State and Baylor. Baylor is a point favorite at home. Give me Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's a really good team. I think they are the team to beat this year in the Big 12, and I think they go on the road and get that win. Yeah, give me Oklahoma State in a redemption win. They were one yard short of winning that Big 12 championship last year against Baylor. Uh, they were heartbroken about that, and they're still a really good team, well-coached team. Uh, nothing against Baylor, but I'm going to go Cowboys. Um, NC State Clemson. Clemson is a six and a half point favorite at home. Uh, just kind of looking at it now, I was impressed with how Clemson's offense looked against Wake Forest last week. DJU kind of finally put the question marks to bed. I'm gonna go. Who I think Clemson gets it done at home. I just I just think it's a hard place to play. I think they get it done at home. Me too. Um, you know I don't. Uh, I don't know a ton about NC State. I know they they got the Tony Gibson three three five defense, and that's been working for them. But to play at Clemson, to win at Clemson against Dabu, uh, Dabu Sweeney, that's a that's a tough ask. So I'm going to go Tigers. And then finally, West Virginia Texas Texas as of now on Tuesday night at ten o two p.m. is a ten point favorite. Truth be told, I think this game is going to be a shootout no matter who wins the game. But I do eventually think Texas is going to win. I just think that Ewers is going to play and Texas's talent is going to win out. Texas has some serious talent up and down their roster. And I do think it wins out. So I'm going to take Texas and I think they win 45-38. That is my score prediction. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Texas in, in a, in a shootout to a degree. I'm going to go 40 to 30. Um, you know, WV will find the end zone, but I think I think Texas is gonna take advantage of some mistakes. Um, you know, and you're 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 probably not gonna get all the calls you want in Austin and you know, uh maybe one of those will go uh, against the Mountaineers, but I think, you know, I think the Texas offense will just kind of have their way with the secondary. Yeah. So that is all for us. Um, if you made it this far, we do appreciate you listening. Be sure to go like, subscribe if you're on YouTube, or give us a follow if you are on another platform once again i am wesley shoemaker joined by aaron parker thank you for listening and this is the blue gold sports podcast